Hello, we're Muckal LLP, a highly successful full-service commercial law firm based in Newcastle-upon-Tyne in the north of England. We support businesses, organisations and individuals all over the UK and beyond. And with this podcast series, we share business insight and practical tips to help you with the full spectrum of commercial law. Hello and welcome to this podcast from Muckle LLP. I'm Luke Donnickley, a solicitor on the commercial team at Muckle, uh, and this is one of a series of podcasts that we've put together for you to help you to navigate uh, through Brexit. So I'm joined today by Robin Adams, who is a, a partner on the commercial team at Muckle LLP. Say hello, Robin. Hello. Um, and today we're going to think about the effect of Brexit on your commercial contracts and, and really what it is that you can do about that. So, Robin, I think a great place to start is, is to have a think about what, what will Brexit do to commercial contracts? Thank you, Luke. In terms of contract law in the UK, that's a creature of the UK courts and some UK statutes, such as the Unfair Contract Terms Act, Sale of Goods Act, and so on. And Brexit and indeed the end of the transitional period is going to have a limited effect on our contract law itself in terms of the rules on offer and acceptance consideration and so on those rules aren't likely to change where brexit and the end of the transitional period is going to have more of an impact is in how it affects those contractual terms uh, and, and might change our and how it might change our contractual obligations. And I think it falls into two parts. The first is your current contracts, and the other is your future contracts. So, what have you got in your current contracts, and what could you put in your future contracts? If a lot of the rules aren't going to change, uh, a lot of people are going to be tempted to do nothing. But is that an option? Uh, it might be. I think if you're confident that the change in our relationship with Europe isn't going to affect your contract at all, or it isn't going to affect you adversely because perhaps you've already got suitable protections in a contract, then yes, it might be okay to do nothing. Similarly, you might think, I've got a short-term contract which is going to come to an end before 31st December 2020 or possibly soon afterwards. Uh, so if I am adversely affected by um, Brexit or by, by the end of the transitional period, it doesn't really matter. Or perhaps you've got a very short no-fault termination right, so you can get out of your contract on, say, a month's notice without cause. And again, you might feel that uh, if something goes wrong you're happy to rely on that um on that that, that short-term uh, notice provision um, but it really will depend on the circumstances okay so um i'm interested to know more about um the effect brexit might have why will it have an effect on people's commercial contracts i think fundamentally you're looking at a, a change in the relationship that the UK has with Europe and um, as a result of that there may be changes in the way that a contractual provision operates and as a result of that you might find that uh, that change in relationship causes financial hardship to a party under a contract because of the terms that you have in that contract 
or the absence of terms in that contract. So in terms of Brexit specifically, things like border delays uh, may have uh, an impact and cause a financial hardship. You're looking at perhaps the regulatory aspects of changes in the way border controls work. And then there's a practical aspect in terms of delays. There might be regulatory divergence, which might be a longer term problem, but one that still might have uh, an adverse effect on a party to a contract. The labour market might change. There might be restrictions and changes to the free movement of labour. There might be changes in laws. And the European Union Withdrawal Act 2018 does preserve EU law in English law for now. Um, but in the longer term, that might not be the case. And there may be an implication as a result of that. You might lose the right to operate in a member state. There might be new registration obligations, for example, in order for you to, to trade in that, in that state. So those are some examples of the sort of things that um, Brexit might um, throw up that, that cause hardship to a, to a party under a contract. Okay, so um, it, it's clear that Brexit's going to have uh, going to cause some disruption, and I think from what you're saying, it's it's potentially legal disruption as well as sort of practical disruptions. So, so really, leading on from that, what do you need to look at if you're considering your commercial contract terms in light of Brexit? Yeah, I think there's probably there's two bits to this. One is. Um, I think considering perhaps the or being aware of the common law position in terms of how the courts look at the interpretation of a contract because some of this may well turn on how particular clauses are interpreted and I think it's worth looking at some of the cases here just to get a feel for how the courts will tackle this. Arnold and Britain a 2015 case where the court said words in a contract are to be given their natural meaning and there's no reason to depart from that just because the party might have done a bad deal. Marks and Spencer's PLC and BMP Paribas 2015 case where the court took a very restrictive view on implying terms into a contract. They'll only imply terms where it's so obvious it goes without saying or where it's necessary for business efficacy. And in Tandrin Aviation and Aero Toy Store 2010 case, the fact the court said that the fact economic hardship suffered by a party is not of itself enough to allow relief from your obligations. So under the common law, the courts aren't going to help you if you suffer under the terms of the contract that you have. Okay, um, I mean, you know it's serious when lawyers start talking about case law, um, and it's obvious that the courts aren't going to be uh, you know, sympathetic or, or, or indeed helpful, but what about the doctrine of frustration, which is um, uh, something that some of our listeners might have heard of? Um, could Brexit mean that a party could rely on that doctrine? I think the view is that it's probably unlikely. The general rule is that if a contract becomes more difficult or impossible to perform, then, then that's tough luck. And if you can't comply with your obligations, you would face a claim in damages or possibly a uh, uh, an equitable um, uh, claim for specific performance or, or such like. A frustrating event will excuse your non-performance and it allows a party to treat the contract as discharged. 
and as, and you're absolutely right, Luke. There's been some mention of frustration um, in the context of, of Brexit. Generally speaking, a frustrating event is one which occurs after the contract's been formed. It's so fundamental as to be regarded by the law both as striking at the root of the contract and as being entirely beyond what was contemplated by the parties when they entered into the contract. It's not due to the fault of a party and its effect is to render further performance impossible, illegal or radically different from that contemplated by the parties at the time of the contract. So the test for establishing that a contract is frustrated is quite high. And in terms of Brexit, or the end of the transitional period at least, arguing frustration is going to be difficult because the event, whether that's Brexit or whether that's the, the, the end of the transitional period, is something that is likely to have been in the contemplation of the parties in the case of contracts entered into post-referendum, certainly, uh, which is going to capture quite a few contracts. Um, and also because the event is probably not going to make performance impossible, illegal or radically different. And the fact that performance might be more expensive or difficult isn't going to be enough. So the common law is probably not going to get you very far. Okay, so so frustration probably won't help then. And I, I guess that means that we have to turn to our existing contracts. Uh, will, the, will the terms of those contracts be helpful to, to uh, businesses grappling with the issues caused by Brexit? Uh, it's certainly possible, yes. Um, and just to pick a few examples of clauses that might be helpful. Um, force majeure is an obvious one a force majeure clause will excuse performance where events outside a party's reasonable control prevent that performance will brexit count as a force majeure event maybe not because again it's something that the parties might have been able to foresee and therefore provide for and again events making performance harder or more expensive don't of themselves generally amount to force majeure um, compliance with laws clauses might be might be helpful. It might mean that the counterparty to your contract is still obliged to comply with um, a changed law, which is a law that's changed as a result of Brexit. Um, it'll depend on the drafting, so you need to look at the way that the clause has been written. You might have changed control provisions in your contract, which allow certain changes to be um, agreed or imposed on the other party. That could help you. Again, it will depend on the drafting. There might be a clause which um, sets out how particular risks are going to be dealt with. Um, so allocating that risk between the parties. Let's say there's an increase in raw material costs or an increased regulatory burden. The contract might say um, how that cost is to be shared between the parties. Uh, and don't forget your termination clause. Uh, can you get out of the contract? Can you get out of the contract uh, without cause or does there have to have been a breach? Bear in mind as well that contracts are often terminable uh, where the other party enters into financial difficulties. Uh, so that's something something to be to, to, to bear in mind. 
Okay, so so there's some really helpful clauses there that we can point to that that may may be helpful. I suppose dependent on on the circumstances in each in each individual case and the way the clauses and the contracts are drafted. But but are there other things that we ought to be thinking about here? Um, uh, other clauses that we want to be looking at? Um, I think so. I think there are probably some uh, some problem clauses, if you like, governing law and jurisdiction clauses uh, might be something to consider i think in terms of governing law english governing law is probably still going to be attractive uh, as we come out of the transitional period uh, and will still be available as a, a choice of of, of law uh, for for future contracts jurisdiction is possibly a little bit trickier because this is about which courts have jurisdiction to hear a dispute as opposed to which governing law applies Hopefully the English courts will remain attractive to parties. Um, speed and flexibility proceedings, the quality of the judiciary and so on um, mean that parties like using the English courts. Can the parties in member states still give English courts jurisdiction? Most likely, yes, they can, because it's a question of English law as to whether the court would accept that jurisdiction. On the flip side, will the courts of the other member states respect an exclusive jurisdiction clause in favour of the English courts? Um, and outside of the EU, that question becomes a bit more difficult to answer. And it may be that we find other member states won't recognise an, 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 an exclusive English jurisdiction clause, which means that the, the local court in that member state may decide that it does have jurisdiction to hear a claim in a way that it might not decide when you're when you when you're inside the, the EU member states group. Uh, okay so what about enforcement Robin w will a member states courts recognize or um, or allow the enforcement of English judgments? I think there is a risk that outside of the EU uh, it's more likely they might not and if that's the case then taking local advice if you're looking at the possibility of um, enforcement overseas say you're dealing with a, uh, a counterparty based in the eu um, is going to become more important and the other thing to think about is alternative dispute resolution is arbitration or mediation a more um, a more attractive um, option uh, if it means that you don't have to consider the possibility of enforcement uh, outside of the outside of the UK outside of the UK okay and I mean one of the interesting things uh, will be what happens to wording that, that that mentions the EU in contracts so we often see clauses which refer to the EU or to to member states of the EU and um, in most people's contracts where we see that obviously the UK would be one of those member states and post Brexit we're not how yeah. are those sorts of clauses affected most obviously that's going to be an issue where a right or a restriction is described by reference to the EU or member states of the EU. So, for example, a sales territory or a restrictive covenant or perhaps a, an intellectual property um, license territory, that sort of thing. I think that will very much turn on the wording of the clause. For example, does it refer to the member states from time to time? Or does it list particular countries or does it say 
the member states as at the date of the contract. And depending on what the, what the clause says, uh, the effect is going to be slightly different. But the risk, of course, is that the UK ceases to fall within the territorial definition. Um, and that may or may not be uh, an issue for you, depending on, um, on your position. Uh, similarly, references to EU law are going to become a little bit more problematic. The references to EU law, pieces of EU law, include their replacement or successor laws. Uh, and if so, would that extend to replacement or successor laws made by the EU or by the UK? Again, the wording is going to be relevant if at the moment it doesn't say that. Great, okay. So I think in summary then, there's some, some really helpful things that we can look out for. There's, there's some obvious gray areas and I think there's, there's some areas of, of, of real concern, but I guess if you've, you're, you've reviewed your contracts and you decide, look, these contracts are not helpful to me, what, what comes next, Robin? I mean, can you renegotiate your mm -hmm. contracts? If you can't renegotiate, then yes, you might be stuck. But having said that, there might be things you can do. Um, can you stockpile raw materials or inventory? That might mean that you can service a contract for a bit longer, obviously, uh, without having to deal with the risk of, of supply disappearing or being held up. That might be difficult at the moment because lots of businesses will have spent spare cash dealing with uh, the coronavirus pandemic, but it's something to consider. Can you look at alternative delivery routes for products? Can you even bring supply in-house? Can you acquire a supplier or retrain or set up yourself so that you don't need the supplier? So in that sense, Brexit could be an opportunity. So if you can renegotiate or if you're contemplating an entirely new contract, what might you consider as a result of Brexit? Yeah, and you could certainly look at including um, what you might call a Brexit clause, for want of a better label which essentially would be a clause which would trigger a change in rights or obligations as a result of a specified event occurring. Now, Brexit itself has obviously happened as of 31st January 2020. So you'd either be looking at um, the end of the transitional period as your, as your trigger or possibly um, some other event which is either been caused by Brexit on the 31st January 2020 or which is caused as a result of the transitional period coming to an end. Essentially it's a an if if X happens then then Y is the consequence type clause. Um, okay fine so in terms of one of those clauses let's, let's call it a Brexit clause what would that type of clause need to address? I think there's a, I mean, there, well, there are different ways that you could tackle it, but I think you would need to think about what the main triggers might be for the for the for the for the agreed consequence, if you like. Um, so, what might the main triggers be? Uh, a change in exchange rates, perhaps, or a change of import tariffs, or changes in the way customs checks and border control works. Uh, you might look at parallel regulation and, and, and the question of regulatory divergence. Do you suddenly find that you've got to comply with one regulatory regime, whereas the EU requires a slightly different one? Uh, 
loss of key staff could be another, or a restriction on the freedom to provide services in the EU. All of those things could be triggers that, uh, that would give rise to a, a pre-agreed change in the contractual relationship. Um, you might also, though, want to set out what the, the adverse impact might have to be as a result of that, of that trigger event. So, for example, does it, have to lead in, does it have to lead into, say, an increase in the cost of raw materials or uh, a delivery delay or increased labour costs? Or does it have to result in some change in, in market prices? That sort of thing. Think about whether the triggering event only has to happen once or whether it can be repeated. Obviously, the end of the transitional period is only going to happen once, but depending on how you've done your clause, things like exchange rate changes or um, loss of key staff, that sort of thing, um, could happen on, on a repeated basis. And then I think there are one or two other things to, to think about as well. In terms of causation, if you're looking at a trigger event such as an exchange rate change, uh, does that itself have to be caused by Brexit? Um, bear in mind as well that Brexit's already happened, uh, or by the end of the or, or as a result of the end of the transitional period, um, or is it enough that there is just an exchange rate change, which of course could be caused by other factors as well? Um, think about how you define Brexit. Brexit proper is the UK ceasing to be a member state of the European Union as of 31st January 2020. Um, alternatively, are you saying that? Um, Brexit for the purpose of your contract is to be treated as the ending of the transitional period. So Robin, if the triggers are met and there is an adverse effect, what will the consequences be? I think essentially it comes down to renegotiation, a prescribed outcome, or possibly a termination right. And taking each of those in turn, renegotiation, the main risk there is that there's a failure to agree. And then the question is, well, what are the consequences of that failure going to be? Does the status quo continue? Or does that failure to agree lead into some other um, outcome, most obviously termination? If you're going to say the consequence is a prescribed outcome, you need to set that out clearly. For example, would it result in a change in, say, delivery times or a change in product specification or possibly a change in price? In each case, you'd need to be as clear as you could about how that um, how that change would look. So some objectives or metrics around, say, a price increase or a price change would be useful. Um, and then finally, in terms of termination, just think about which party can terminate. Would it be one party or both parties? Would there be a period within which that right would have to be exercised? And would there be a notice period or would it would it be a termination with immediate effect? The other thing to think about on any termination is what are the consequences of that termination on, for example, existing work or orders, um, the return of information and documents, uh, and whether or not there would need to be any final payment uh, or final account raised. Okay, so uh, I think we can say that businesses should be reviewing their contracts uh, should be looking for some of the things that you've uh, set out for us today and, and really thinking about what issues Brexit might cause and whether the answer to those, I suppose, potential problems lie in their contracts or perhaps uh, talking to their suppliers and customers um, 
to work out the the, the best approach uh, to take to Brexit. Um, Robin, it's it's been great talking to you today, um, and we hope that uh, our listeners can join us again for uh, another instalment of these uh, Muckle Brexit podcasts. Thanks, Luke.